this week's spooky episode of Casting Views sees intrepid paranormal investigators Dan and Justin visiting the site of a supposedly very, very haunted house. Justin, my readings tell me that the ghostly presence we are after is in that room right there. Now, if you could please go through the door to check on it. Okay. Hey, 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 wait, wait a minute, Dan. Why don't you go in first? Because, Justin, I'm looking after the ghost hunt equipment. And anyway, it's my podcast. Ugh, fine. Casting Views thinks it's so great because it casts its views. I have to do everything around here. Open this, close that, go here, go there. So stupid. Ah, Dan! Dan, there is something in that room. Quickly then, let's go see what it is. Oh, hi guys, there you are. Thought you weren't going to show up. I've been waiting for you for ages. Are we recording or what? Justin, really? It's not something decaying. It's Matt from Decaying with the Boys. And scene. Now, dear listener, on to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Casting Views, a podcast that takes a topic each week and, as the name suggests, cast views. Now, you're obviously still reeling with laughter from that opening skit that you've just heard and obviously you're going to know the stars of this episode because they're in it so i've got justin from the boo v wire show and i've got matt from decaying with the zomboys i'm trying to make that work i've been saying it in my head over and over hi justin hi matt hello, hello dan dan i love your facial reaction by the way when you uh were anticipating that joke it was yeah. amazing. <laughs> just for you two, just for your eyes only. And also thanks to Kay, you heard Kay in that as well. Firstly, I want to say thank you for contributing to that because you both, I kind of gave general direction. I mean, I'm not like a, a Scorsese or anything, but I gave you over WhatsApp a general direction, general script, and you both independently gave me about three or four different versions or takes of yours. And I was sitting there creasing up. You're, you're brilliant, both of you. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks, yeah. Dan. Uh, it's easy to take direction when it's wide open, so I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, Dan, I open and honest, I think I was about a six-pack in, so I think I, I think my two lines turned into about an hour and a half, so I apologize. Well, that's good, because you're only about eight in now, aren't you, right? So uh, maybe... <laughs> No, I've got Justin up incredibly early to record this. So, uh, yeah, so appreciate that. So, how's the movie wire going? Uh, movie wire is great. I mean, I've had some fun with some absolutely horrible movies this month. So, it's it's been a complete struggle. But it's been a lot of fun. I almost feel like this uh, last month has been really therapeutic to get some underlying rage out on the show. So, it's been, it's been feeling good. I, I'm happy as a clam after this month. Not because of the movies, though. Matt, how are the boys getting on? Oh, we're doing great. Uh, I actually just got done filming everything for our Halloween uh, vignette that we make every year. So uh, 
there's lots of blood in this one and and we have a special guest voiceover too uh, might be someone in the chat i don't know <laughs> but it's been fun october is our favorite month because we get to do everything that incorporates horror and all the fall beers that come out and everything it's just a great time for our podcast excellent and you know what? i don't think i did do anything spooky or, or halloween related last year so i've just scraped in with this one this year because um, I thought I've got my act together. Before we get onto that, yep. So if you're not already, subscribe to both Justin's Movie Wire and Matt's The Camera The Boys. You won't regret it if you're not already. And actually, before we get into the show, let's hear from Matt. We're gonna I'm gonna play your promo now. So let's hear from you. Woo, goody. <laughs> Welcome back, Judge Jordan. You know who it is. Whoa, whoa, it's whoa, Matt. This isn't an episode. This is our promo. Well, what's a promo? Just to tell everybody about our podcast, K with the Boys. Oh, where you and I get together and talk about craft beer and combat sports and horror movies and whatever else is on our mind? Yeah, from buckle to bell, we cover the best combat news in the biz. Oh, yeah, we do do that, don't we? Yeah, every week. Yeah, and you can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, and on YouTube. We're at GayNWTV on all social media. So catch us out there and have a beer with us. Cheers. Right, we are back. So I've got you two on because I wanted to talk about horror the horror genre and obviously couldn't think of two better people to do it matt obviously your your show's horror theme justin you've seen a lot of horror and you've probably endured a lot of horrific films that weren't actually horror films right as you were kind of alluding to by kids armageddon horrifying Let's start this. So for you guys, and as I, I was joking earlier before we press record, but I'm not joking now. I got you two on because I actually want you two to do all the lifting in this. I'm just going to sit back and listen to you two speak. For yourselves, what makes a good horror? I'm going to let Justin go first because cinema aficionados always have a really cool take take on it. And then my pedestrian ass will come in with something <laughs> like, oh, like blood. So Justin, you go first. <laughs> <laughs> Well, first, people go to horror for the experience. That's the genre people go to, to just really let loose, have a good time. It's like waiting in line for a roller coaster. You don't know what you're going to get when you're actually on the coaster, but it's the anticipation of actually sitting through it and getting to the credits. But a good horror movie is one that knows exactly what it's trying to do. Um, It knows exactly the audience is trying to take for, whether it's, a really bad horror movie, it knows it needs to go all in and forte that bad uh, emphasis. If it's psychological, they have to really pay attention to the detail of the emotional element. And if it's actually going to be one of those suspenseful edge of your seat movies, that's where the editing and the music really have to come into play in unison to really give that experience. So in a nutshell, a good horror movie really thinks of the viewer first and foremost and not too concerned on reviews, not too concerned on awards. You're not horror movies are rare to get these kinds of things. So the audience has to be first and foremost on what you're trying to portray and treat it like an experience. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. I think it comes down to how you deliver the horror vehicle in itself. Uh, like on our podcast, we just did a rundown of the top earning horror movies in 2023 so far. And Scream 6 is up there at $103 million, which sounds phenomenal. But Barbie's at $1.4 billion. So it's really how did they take you know a Scream franchise, repackage it, and deliver it to fans, new and old They want to make sure that they're able to bring the gore, the blood, but also mix in the meta and really 
capture what they had in the very first move they always try to chase the dragon but it's how they deliver that and, and giving people what they want but also trying to get some new people in too so whenever you're going into a horror movie it's kind of cool because like with scream there's six of them so you kind of know what you're going to get but they've changed directors a few times they brought new cast members on so with horror the, co the cool thing that i've seen with that is you can love a director or a special effects artist or an actor, actress, whatever it might be, or a villain, and you can actually glob onto that movie because of that and not just because of what the essence of the movie actually is. Because you want to go see Jenna Ortega take on the lead in a horror film, you get to experience that. So you can go to a horror movie for the overall experience or for a, a piece of it, or you want to see what Tom Savini's doing. Like You can really just dive into different parts of it. And even if the movie is bad, you could be like, yeah, but those special effects were on point. Because I've, you know, over the years, I do enjoy my horror, but I've never been a horror aficionado. Now, is, now I'm trying to phrase this question correctly. Can the horror itself make a good horror film or does it have to, I think that's kind of what you were just saying, Matt, or does it have to have a good script? So it's basically, you know, we did see in the, was it the, late 90s or early 2000s they called it like the torture porn it was all about who could up the gore antics so does gore alone make or can it make a good horror film i'm gonna use saw as an example of this not saw 30 but let's take the original one that movie had a nice balance of both so you had a fantastic twist at the end the script felt natural it doesn't have to be an outstanding script but again, we talk about that viewer on engagement. Does it seem realistic? Does the conversation flow? So we take this almost secluded room and these two have to banter back and forth and they have to make the audience believe that these two are in danger, that there's high stakes to what's the outcome is going to be. So the script doesn't necessarily have to be good. And when I go into a horror movie, I'm not expecting a script to be good, but I do expect it. If the filmmaker's vision is for it to be clever, and I'm glad Matt brought up Scream, because Scream is another great example of that experience of the writing is actually pretty decent because it consistently changes and it gets to like the latest Saw, or I'm sorry, the latest Scream. And, you know, we go to that for the mystery of it. Who's going to be the killer? And it could be the grocery store clerk's second cousin. Uh, we stretch those villains but it's the experience of trying to figure out who it is. And in the mix, we have that like killing thrill, thrill ride throughout, throughout the runtime. So the writing doesn't necessarily have to be good, but the filmmakers have to make sure that they know exactly what they're trying to do. And when it comes to Saw, great balance. When it comes to Scream, great uh, dialogue and a clever, screen, a clever screenplay. So the vision on those two examples, to me, are a good example of what it should be and them understanding their audience. Yeah, uh, the writing can really make or break the action that's going on in uh, the movie itself. But if you want to look at some films that rely so heavily on atmospheric uh, atmospheric, you know, expertise in whatever you want to bring to like the Babadook is one of the movies that I really appreciate. Um, the the use of like ambient noise, the dialogue between a troubled child and the mother, and you're trying to piece it all together and understand like, why are they overcome by this demon and the interlying of the book and how it expands on how strong the Babadook is becoming and 
the twist at the end and you're 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 really engaged with how that dialogue is going and then you can go ahead and say i don't care about that and go watch thanks killing whenever they just get mutated turkeys the the writing is terrible but the gore is ramped up to 11 uh so it goes kind of goes back to what we were saying before like if you're gonna go into it and you're like this is an a24 film and we are gonna get beautiful panoramic shots and blood splatters that reach the ceiling and eloquent dialogue or you can go ahead and get an eli roth movie like i don't know disaster and you have an earthquake and some chick gets trapped under rubble and she screams for 30 minutes i mean it's just it's what you're in for and that's kind of when it goes to dan when you use the phrase uh torture porn if someone can name the genre there's a lane for the genre and there is a pack of people that cannot wait for the next saw the next hostel whatever it's going to be uh green inferno 2 like whatever it's going to be if it's torture porn they're like oh i'm in for this one and then there's going to be a bunch of people who are like why are you doing that why do you, why do you enjoy that but that's the beauty of horror it could be eloquent or it could be messy either way if you want to get into it you can yeah it's funny because the horror i like is is more psychological so i like to have fear i like to have that to be on that edge when i'm watching a film i'm not necessarily a huge fan of the gore so the films kind of we mentioned like um i still think the first saw is a brilliant film as well it's such a clever film the endings i think still ranks up there for me scream is a funny one because i really enjoy that but that that kind of for me ticks the three boxes it is a clever film it's got comedy in it and genuine comedy, but it has also, it is quite gory, well, gory, but there is that element of gore and nastiness in it, isn't there? So it's kind of ticks all three boxes. And I think that's great. Yeah, with Scream being my favorite franchise, man, I got to say, Scream does it for me. It could be Scream a million, and I'm going to go pay to watch it in theaters every time. <laughs> but for both of those franchises, though, I haven't really seen then a lot of the sequels. I think I saw Saw 2, and I think I've seen uh, Scream 2 and 3. But again, it's just one of those ones, because I'm not necessarily hugely into horror, I kind of then drift away. Um, they're not something I necessarily go find. Another one for me was Final Destination. Again, I really enjoyed mm. the first one. I actually saw that at the cinema, which I think we rarely see horror at the cinema. So. Um, and I saw that a week before a flight. And again, because for me, it's the idea behind it. I, I'm so hooked by the idea. Uh, and then it's like, for me, how many more times can you repeat that? Or will it still have the same magic? Well, and that's kind of the fear of it, right? When you actually see a, the first movie of a said franchise, when you go into the second one, that's when the stakes are really higher because you have that those repeat customers almost that you have to appease because you have that idea. The idea is what's getting people in the theater, the concept. You have the final destination that is the fear of death or what's to come. When are you, is your life going to end with Again, a side view of some really badass kills. So a lot of those will have a hook on it to really bring those people back in. Um, but Final Destination is one of those. Um, but when it comes to exhausting a franchise, that would probably be the one that didn't wasn't as successful as uh, some other franchises. But people by the last and tail end of the franchise, you had probably about half of a theater still hanging on to that franchise because they are fans of just going in to see some brutal kills. So by the end of that franchise, the audience you see in there knows exactly what they're getting into. Isn't that because, yeah, kind of 
Final Destination and Saw, I think a lot of people just hanging on to that to see what they're going to do next, right? I think there's an element of that. And just like in Scream, just go back because I love it. You want to see how they piece it all together. And Final Destination was always cool because the kills are unique because you never get to see the killer, but the killer can manipulate space and environment. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of cool to watch that. And then like the traps from Saw, like that takes a lot of thought to really put that into play. It's a lot of physiology that goes behind those traps. So it's not like, a, oh, yeah, your foot's caught in a thing and you got to saw it off to get out. Like, no, there's so much behind that. Like, I buried a key inside your eye. Do you have the intestinal fortitude to dig it out? Like, it's it's really cool. It's, it's It takes more thought, I think, to make a progressively uh, continuing storyline in horror movies as it goes over several several um instances so like saw is actually a pretty good interpretation of that because even though there are well there's like 12 of them or something like that yeah but every time there's a whole slew of new traps i can't think of two right now like i couldn't if you gave me a week i couldn't bring you two cool traps but they found 12 movies worth of them and and it had that central idea as well sort of if i remember right wasn't the main guy is trying to make people pay for if they're wasting their lives, isn't it? Or, or yeah. that aren't grateful. I, I kind of like that idea as well. So that's, that's what I think is appealing about, well, the first few I've seen anyway. But yeah, the psychological ones always get me because I still think, and Matt, I can't remember if, if we discussed this one when you were last on the show, or not last because that was about dinner date. No, the one before that. Blair Witch Project. Again, you don't see anything really, do you? And it's all in the mind. But that final scene... Is actually well for me anyway was terrifying i thought oh yeah i mean because you're same thing what do we fear as human beings the most it's the unknown the unseen the ever moving behind the scenes you know it's the uh like children of the corn he who walks behind the rose you never see him you just know that it could be satan i don't know but the cool thing about it is is when you can't see it and you can't formulate what it is on the screen, your brain takes over. It's the same essence of like reading a book. So as you're going over the words, your brain gets to take over what that is. And the way you interpret it makes it even more terrifying for you. So the Blair Witch Project, and the, they did a great job with that too. They put so much of the fake media behind it right yeah. before the internet could really dispel things. I was a kid. I was terrified. I was hooked. I'm like, I'm never going camping. I was going camping every weekend too. I'm not getting a tent. I'm never going anywhere. So yeah, I think the, those kind of movies where you force the viewer to really make their own decisions while they're watching the movie is, is unique. And I think it gets the job done um, without having to go over the top with, um, with, with the villain. And the movie that did it terribly was Smile. Because you couldn't see anything until the very, spoiler alert, I don't know if you've watched it yet, but it, spoilers, at the end you get to see the demon and it sucks. It ruins, it ruins the whole thing. Like the end of the movie made me, like I wasted the first hour and 20 minutes of my life until I get to this point. <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought up Blair Witch because I, one, I was in that same group waiting around the theater block again. We couldn't order tickets online back in the day. So we had to wait two hours for these tickets. We had people scalping tickets for Blair Witch down in downtown. So the experience of that was awesome. And that you were terrified for two hours waiting for a line to wonder what you were about to see because they had this tremendous buildup. And when we talk about what makes a good horror movie, your first question, Dan, Matt's 100% right. 
you have all these movies that come out that just become generic because they don't slow down and take their time and understand it's okay to let the imagination of the uh, viewer just run. The biggest thing that's going to terrify the audience is our own imagination. And when Mm -hmm. they give away too much, that just ruins the entire movie. You talk about Blair Witch and even paranormal activity to an extent that movie you'll either love it or hate it, but I will stand by my uh, opinion that hands down, that is one of the best psychological horror movies in our era. There has never been a movie that made me stand outside of my house wondering if I should go in. Um, That movie (laughs) did a brilliant with a tiny budget with shocker practical effects. So they were smart and they knew what they were uh, getting into and what they wanted to create it. But Matt's hundred percent right. Uh, these movies today just don't take a breath and put trust in the audience that they can create something better in their head than the filmmaker can on screen. I feel so validated to hear <laughs> the Justin Henson say that I am, I'm right. I can't believe it's happening to me. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up Paranormal Activity because that was another one I was going to mention. And I, I really enjoyed those when I watched them. And again, it's, it's exactly as you say, practical effects. And I'll never forget there was one, I can't remember which film it was, but there was a camera in, in a kitchen and it was going left to right. It kept panning left to right and there was someone at the table and you were waiting for something to happen. I can't remember, I think in that one it didn't, but because you know the tropes of horror films, I was actually on edge because I was waiting. Every time it's going to go back, there's going to be a jump scare. And I was actually more more sort of nervous about that than actually anything that was was about to happen. So so clever. Well, it's like with those, with the paranormal, that's a perfect example of something building to the sequel where I didn't think there was going to be a sequel to paranormal activity. But when it came out, I don't get scared at horror movies. I've been desensitized at this point. There's nothing that can scare me. But going into the second one, I knew it brought back memories of the first one and how I felt. And literally, I was shaking going into the theater, wondering what I was going to witness in this movie. And, you know, some people, you know, it's, again, one of those movies, either that wasn't scary uh, or it terrified you. But that's the cool thing about horror is we don't share this universal fear communion. Everybody's going to treat fear differently. and. With horror movies, a horror genre, you're never going to have the same opinion. It's one of those genres, like if you take a romantic movie, yeah, you'll find it cute or you didn't find it cute. But horror, you either think it's terrifying or you don't, or you're just going to say it's okay. You're not going to scare everybody. And that's what filmmakers are really trying to just do is appease everybody. And that's where they're falling on their face is they need to stick to their confident vision of what they find uh, horrific or tense, but these generic horror movies are just throwing uh, random things with quick editing and cranking up the volume during scary moments to just scare the audience. And if you've listened to my show, that is my biggest pet peeve in horror is having that quick edit, that quick cut with cranking the volume up just to get that cheap scare. Those are the horror movies. The minute I see that, I know this is going to be a piece of horror movie. Yeah. Just knowing that they're, like the conjuring i think was one of the movies that did it well enough where they kind of played jump scares in with atmospheric stuff very well uh there wasn't like a first person like found footage film but then in the second one they completely are like jump scares work we're gonna do jump scares and we're gonna just take the take the cinematic uh you know 
or orchestratic music and just crank it all the way up and now you know there's something in the room now you know something's behind the main character now you know something's going to happen you take the element of a true jump scare out uh and when you start to rely on cheesy jump scares that's where you lose me because scaring people for the sake of just simply scaring them isn't hard I could do it right now if I cut my camera off and I wait till you guys are in something and I go and I jump and okay yeah yeah it's gonna gonna startle you you know like but if building up to it because if you look at uh unfriended something that was done over uh during over the pandemic and they used one online chat room much like we're in right now and used just everything around it the darkness to the final spoiler alert to the final jump scare at the end and it was done well it was a burn all the way to the final love letter of that movie and you said that's how you do it that's how you use a jump scare but if every 15 minutes i'm going there's one there's one there's one over it done see ya it's yeah. funny because when done right it can make me jump about six foot off the off the settee right and um i'm not often caught out by them but the odd time i do I, I, yeah I, like it's embarrassing but you know. But like I said, it's got to lull you into it, hasn't it? Otherwise, then it's just um, it's like a car chase in an action film, isn't it? It's just repeated. Yeah. And this year, we're getting more of that. I mean, I think on with streaming, I think I've seen more horror movies in just the last couple of weeks um, than I have in the last two years. I mean, they're being pumped to streaming services right now. And when we talk about uh, the jump scare too, um, The Exorcist that just came out, You take the classic masterpiece that is The Exorcist that had what we talked about, that build, that breathing. It takes the audience in on just an unsettling horror, not just a jump out and say boo horror. But the new Exorcist does the opposite, and it doesn't even do it good. They try and do the jump scares, but the jump scares are delayed. You have them crank the music, and then it's like somebody missed their cue, And then they just wander onto the screen and say, here I am. So when it comes to a lot of these movies, even if you're going to be doing jump scares, it has to be executed properly. You don't get the new guy doing editing to get that jump scare. But absolutely right is if you're going to do the jump scare, it it might frighten you. I might jump. But at the same time, it's I'm done. It's a two second thrill. It doesn't take a lot. It's not brilliant filmmaking to do this. So anybody can kind of go out and say boo to somebody. Those will terrify five-year-olds. Those that have been experienced to horror films over the years, we don't get scared over that. We are smarter than that. And the minute I see that, it's gonna, I'm going to think the filmmaker is treating me like an idiot because your intent is to scare children, not adults that are experienced with watching modern-day horror. Well, I've just had a Justin run on my show, a rant on my show. I love it. I'm so happy. <laughs> Spot on. And I was just involved in what you were saying then. I forgot my point now. I guess it is, it's about not cheating the viewer, but also putting them into a position where I think you've both kind of said it is about believing that it could be something real. So there was, um, I've forgotten the name of the film now, but it had Ethan Hawke in it where he moves into a new house. Is he an author? Um, it's the one where he has the reel to reel up in the attic and he's seeing yeah, uh that's the one. And I can't remember the name of it either. My mind has gone a blank. 
Oh, well, but it's that one. But I remember seeing it and it was a really creepy film. But also it's because, you know, we've all moved into a new house or a new apartment. And especially when it's empty and bare or if it's in an exposed area, you've all had those feelings about what's gone on in this house or what's gone on in this building. And, And I think that taps into the fear that people can have in those situations. Okay, so we've we've mentioned quite a lot of, quote, modern horror. I mean, Saw and Final, no, not Final Fantasy, uh, Final Destination <laughs> and things like that go back a few years. Kind of what have you seen or what do you think the change in horror over the years? Do you like where it's going? Is it always been the same? It's just modernized or is there a specific decade or set period of time where you thought that was the golden age for, for horror? I think it goes genre to genre whenever you're going to see golden ages of different things. I think in the 70s and 80s, early 90s, you really saw uh, zombie movies were done very well at that point because there was more, uh, I guess, applicable ideas that were going on in America and the world that zombie movies could use. Uh, If you go back to the Romero movies, uh, consumerism, xenophobia, uh inherent racism like those are things that he tackled with his zombie movies and now you're kind of seeing it like okay we have zombies let's put them in throw a dart at the board a casino let's put zombies in a boom a submarine and it's just flesh eating and there's really you know there's really nothing to it but if you want to look at the thing that i'm seeing now in modern horror that i really enjoy is seeing uh younger younger people younger directors that can shoot movies on smaller amounts of equipment with smaller budgets and they can connect with horror audiences and going against bigger studios like we just saw miramax took over the ip royalties and everything for halloween miramax has been known to hollow out a lot of their new horror movies so i'm scared for halloween a24 has friday the 13th I think they're going to make it very polished for a TV show. But then again, too, Freddy never really translated very well into a TV show, except for the anthology, like Freddy's Nightmares. That was okay. But what I wanted to see was there were some other smaller companies that were trying to kind of piggyback in on some of those. And I wanted to see smaller companies and smaller directors take over some of those big IPs because we're looking at things now and in my in my you know friend of our podcast david howard thornton art the clown damian leone in the terrifier series you're seeing them they stick to what they love they do what they want to do they do small budget and they get up and coming stars to be in their movies budgets of 300,000 and i think the second one was like closer to a million and the third one's going to be closer to like 2 million but they gross 10 15 20 million dollars and they're getting re-released in the theaters, and there's a bunch of hype, and the movies are good, and then the post-secondary physical releases are good. Small budgets, small directors making big splashes. Again, some of the titans that you've seen, like Halloween Ends came out. I, I'm just saying, like, wasn't that great? Terrifier 2, awesome. <laughs> oh, Matt, marry me. Marry me, marry me. I will. Well said. <laughs> Thank you. No, spot on. Um, Took the words out of my mouth because small budget. There's only one film that I can think in recent memory that had a small budget that just kind of really fell on its face that I absolutely hated. And I'm sure Antonio is uh, calling it out, raising his hand, trying to call that out now. But the small budget, what that really does is it opens up the creativity uh, pipeline for them to really create something and really challenge the filmmaker's mind. 
when you throw money at a filmmaker, and this is true for most movies now, they get over, not overwhelmed, but they just rely on that money to just throw it at a computer and hope it generates something that's frightening. So it doesn't challenge the filmmaker. What was so beautiful about the golden age of horror when we go to like the 50s, 60s, is we saw a lot of these great films that back then would have been are terrifying. Now, not so much, but they use practical effects. And if we're watching uh, Dracula, Frankenstein, Creature from the Black Lagoon, if we pay attention to the production value of it, they actually utilize some really brilliant practical effects that we can admire to be scary for what they are. But when it comes to the evolution, we're in a constant loop of genre. Matt brilliantly said the zombie, which was has been overdone, but we do have some shining stars in that. We have the slasher genre in the 80s that was just kind of overdone. But we've seen that kind of pop back in randomly to kind of test the waters to see where the audience's mindset is right now. We have uh, the elevated horror with Mother and Hereditary um, that tries to challenge, which I appreciate, challenge the audience on a new uh, level. But now we're kind of coming to that end where I think we're going to get a little bit more uh, back to the beginning where we get some more creature features, such as um, what we saw in, I think it was like the late nineties where we had a lot of uh, like dead rising, a lot of these really cheesy, fun horror movies that just want the audience to have a lot of fun with it. Um, And that's what I'm kind of, I've been enjoying. Like we had a conversation yesterday about slaughterhouse, right? So brilliant film. Yeah, um, so good. <laughs> love it. I really love enjoyed it. it. I really enjoyed it. And that it doesn't have to terrify the audience, but that film appeases two sides of it: those that want a good kind of thrill, and the others that just want to laugh their asses off on the ridiculousness of it. So I will predict that we are going to see again, like Matt said, the Terrifier movies. Second one, amazing. Um, these are focusing more on the fun element rather than the scare tactic. And that's what we're going to kind of see in the next coming years, because we are in that horror reset right now. Um, And it's going to start over to really kind of jumpstart the audience into enjoying these films again. You tease them into the uh, into the theater by the fun factor. And then we'll start over to the same kind of stuff until we go to the end to get that generic crap uh, eventually again. So but yeah, horror is that one genre that I really appreciate because it's always constantly changing compared to the same boring rom-coms that we see over and over again. The comedies that are just getting stale. So horror will always change. And that's what's so important about this genre. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned obviously Slaughterhouse because I watched it yesterday and yeah, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it knew, we said in the chat, it knew exactly what it is, what it wanted to be. And achieved it, make you laugh. And, you know, there was the elements of the uh, sloth horror. I think there is a... There, I kind new of, genre, baby. New genre, sloth horror. <laughs> I mean, I kind of do like those. I mean, wasn't there a couple of films? I saw the first one, but Netflix did a couple similar. Was it The Babysitter a few years mm. ago? Yeah, really um, where good. It was, yeah, where it was yeah. like a comedy slash pun, not intended, but I'll take it. Comedy slash horror. And... And I think there's a real good market for that because you're going to attract those people that maybe might be willing to see a bit of horror if they've got a good comedic frame around it. I'm glad you touched on that too because it's hard to make a good comedy movie and it's hard to make a good horror movie and you try to put those two things together. It's the hardest movie to make. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. 
I mean, for those of you who haven't seen Sloth the House, it's on, well, in the UK anyway, it's on Paramount Plus. That's where I saw it. And and the hospital scene, the selfie he took with the girl, that just had, <laughs> I was on the floor. I was rolling with tears. I was, that did me. Both of you have kind of touched upon it. So I did have kind of like a, a very brief timeline. So you've got in the 1920s, you had the silent era of horror, which 1930s to 40s, obviously we had the Universal Monsters classic films there and Justin you got it spot on there the golden age of horror the 50s or 60s and in there they kind of throw through in um like you've got the b movies like invasion of the body snatchers and the blob but you also had psycho now when when you were talking about that and i saw that psycho again isn't a film with a massive body count is it not the original anyway everyone puts that up the top of their list of horror don't they New Hollywood and modern horror in the 70s and 80s. So that's where we've got things like Rosemary's Babies, The Exorcist, um, Nightmare on Elm Street, the Friday the 13th. Then, yeah, the horror renaissance and the subgenres in the 1990s to 2000s. And then we've got contemporary horror now, like we've got Get Out, Hereditary and things like that. Country. And, and yeah, Get Out, I only saw that recently and I, and I loved that film. I thought that was amazing too. Because again, it kind of put someone in a scenario where we've all been about meeting the other half's family um, and wondering what you're going to get. I mean, it is just amazing, isn't it? You go through from the 20s to today that there's obviously some of the ingredients, some of the recipes still remains. But Justin, like you were saying, we're constantly changing. Or sorry, maybe new man. And it is about those directors and those writers who can innovate as well as iterate. Yeah, you talk about Get Out with Jordan Peele. So now... He has made some really clever stuff. I mean, his writing is on par. As we evolve, his style is reminding me of the Shyamalan days, where we start off with some great written material. And this is what I really hope this doesn't happen to Peel is, again, we talk about the money. Investors just throwing money at him to really create these movies. That's just going to really put a stop and clog that creative pipeline for him. I really want to see that raw Jordan Peele material because we. I feel with every movie, just like I felt with Shyamalan after The Sixth Sense, is it was leading to something and then it just became one film of disappointment and it was just downhill. And that was one of the highest budgeted films that an investor actually, a studio actually gave a director. So I'm really hoping that Peele just sticks to his gritty style and really gives us more of that because you can really feel his his intelligence and his confidence scream through his uh, dialogue. So I, I feel I'm looking forward to, but I am terrified by itself in its own horror movie of what the evolution of him is going to bring to the table. It's like, as soon as you lose the essence of the love letter, you're writing to horror, to horror fans. And the more money you get, we've always seen this as Puff Daddy and May said it best, more money, more problems. So when you have more money, you have more hands, more thoughts, more eyes and, you know, more stakeholders in on what your your creation is going to be. And whenever you allow more people to take possession over what you bring to the table, you don't want to lose sight. But eventually they make you lose sight of what you really wanted to represent. And how many times have we seen now where iconic horror movie directors, actors, executive producers all say the same thing? I wish I could have done it like this. And it's always whenever they're like, like the first Nightmare on Elm Street, that is staple, classic, front to back, no issues with that movie whatsoever. Fantastic. Number two, everybody jumped on board. They boost up all the, they boost everything up with the budget, the actors, everything. It's a great movie, 
doesn't come close to the first one. You have to go through so many different iterations before like, hey, Wes, can you please come back in here and try this again? And he's like, cool, everybody out of the room. It's me and Robert. I don't want anyone else in here. And Wes Craven's new nightmare is amazing. So you had Dream Warriors was good. I won't crap on that one. That was a pretty good one. But mostly everything in between the first one and Wes Craven's new nightmare is forgettable because there was just too much to it. it. It lost sight of what the original idea was. So Jordan Peele is at the precipice of that. I think he's getting to the point where he's got a lot of attention and his movies are fantastic. They're beautifully shot. They're beautifully written. They make you think. And if you don't want to think, you can just watch the action and still be invested. Just great job. And I just don't want to see him lose that. And much like Justin, I am a little frightened to see the next one. I'm going to go in hoping for the best, but knowing that as a horror fan, I've been burnt before. And I just, I get nervous for my boys. <laughs> what really started the nerve is with Nope. Nope reminded me of the village where we have this great build and it just was leading to something. Just I was excited for it. And then we have that just stupid ending. And Nope reminded me of that. It had this great build and then the it crescendoed and just kind of fizzled out like fireworks in the sky. Um, so I'm really rooting for uh, Peel to really bring something to the table, the next one. And I love that you brought up a, a new nightmare, by the way, because that reminds me of again saw where we go back to the basics because saw 10 by the way saw 10 was it goes back to basics and its simplicity and that's what what new nightmare did is it went back to the basics and said let's forget all this frivolous fluff and just putting them in the same kind of genre but just different situations it went back to something clever and it gave uh, Wes craven a little bit more play when it comes to how he wants to lead this character so it just baffles me sometimes where i can do an entire episode just ranting on how it's so obvious that nobody is grasping this it's a win-win that studios invest little money to get something fantastic the fact that there's a level of stupidity out there that let's just throw money and you know what money after money and this is going to make the movie better then it flops and then we do it over again. And then you have the little mom and pop movie over here that's spending $100,000, $300,000. That's phenomenal. So I don't know. The stupidity of who's running or what studios are throwing money at horror movies just baffles me sometimes. It makes me angry. And that's the thing. And, and Matt, you brought up because you invited Freddy Krueger mm -hmm. to the dinner party, didn't you? We discussed that. So Nightmare on Elm Street was my horror franchise when I was a kid because that was one for whatever reason really stuck with me. And I think I said to you it's because, again, going back to the how it would affect you in real life, I'm like, sleep is your safe space. And now you're telling me I can't sleep, right? But yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. They just kept up in the ante, up in the ante. And New Nightmare, I think, is a fantastic idea. It's such a simple idea, but it was much needed. But yeah, and I really wish a lot of the films would do that. I mean, the Friday the 13th film, I mean, we even had Freddy versus Jason, didn't we? I mean, you know, they're kind of just trying to do anything and everything. And simplicity has got a lot to say for itself. We need it like a, a superhero reboot on a lot of these franchises. Oh, yeah, that's the best way to say it. Just hit the reset button and just say, hey, just go be frightening again. Go back to what made you scary on the onset and let's just do more of that. And that to me is like what Justin was saying earlier. It is cyclical. Horror, horror creation is cyclical. And we get to the point where all the horror communities get frustrated 
and they're saying, why is Talk to Me the only movie that's tolerable right now? We need a refresher. We need someone to come in here and spill some blood. Who do we get? And they, and they always go, hmm, Rolodex, uh, Jason. Let's reboot Jason. Let's get him in here and get him in a camp and like put people in sleeping bags and bang them off of trees. Let's go for it. Let's just get it back to the grassroots. And that's what I think is going to happen soon. And I welcome it with open arms. I really do. Um, but to to say that all horror right now is kind of lacking. I like another thing that Justin said too is, you know, the psychological horror is at top of its game. I think there are movies that are coming out consistently where it's atmospheric. It just takes those little bit of nuances towards the apex of the movie and the conclusion to make it solid. Hereditary, Midsummer, gosh, even Pearl, I thought was a fantastically psychological. I mean, it had a lot more like blood and you know sexuality to it but it was at its heart very very gruesomely atmospheric and that's what made that movie so good and i think that you know we're seeing more of those come out and that's a good thing but i want blood i want gore i want that i want that i can tell they had the pump thing in the background there's (laughs) (laughs) do we think oh and i've just remembered sinister was the ethan hawk film i was thinking Mm -hmm. of for everyone shouting at their phones and, and computers. Do we think that horror has lost something in the modern age in the sense of when we were kids, the room would go around about the film and the main one was The Exorcist, I remember that. And then you would get the VHS tape off a mate who got it off a mate who got it off a mate and by the time you watched it, the tape's got that atmospheric kind of grain to it. Anyway, so do we think now because it's on stream, you can look at it on your phone, there are so many films coming out or maybe maybe not more than there were before but we've got access to it now as before yeah because you didn't want your parents to know you were watching it and it had to be under covert do we think that or maybe not but do we think there's something lost in time through that through technology and the medium yeah absolutely because when i was a kid I think part of the scary element to it was sneaking my head out of my bedroom door and watching the horror movie my parents were watching scared that they were going to catch me watching it. But with a lot of this horror out there, there are kids watching stuff online that there's a lot of short films on YouTube that I was on a almost a, a video watch or a virtual watch on a festival of short films. And there was probably about 150 people in this in this room watching these horror short films. And about 30% of them were annoying kids getting scared or scaring themselves during the watch. So kids are accessing a lot of these scare tactics and they're being scared in the wrong ways with their introduction to horror. Um, It's like I said in my previous episode, introducing kids to horror should start during that golden age. Give them the evolution of horror. Give them that build. If you just go all in with horror at a young age, that's where you start to desensitize kids and you give the wrong message of what's okay when it comes to horror. You want to start this generation off with the right amount of appreciation for what makes horror. So I fear that as our generations now evolve, the horror and the filmmakers are going to go in the wrong direction to base our horror off of what our kids and our teenagers or what have you um, are watching today. Um, And they're not going to go off of creativity, if you will. So I think there is a fear. um, And I think that there is going to be a twist, which I really hope that doesn't interrupt the evolution of horror. But I think it does desensitize to an extent. 
yeah, being able to get your hands on anything at any time, anywhere, in any place really takes away also too from the the fun that we used to have of going to your hobby shop or the local uh, video rental place. And I remember too, like, you know, there was a, I, li- I grew up in a very small town. There was one place where you could get videos and it was the old school. Like we had one copy of this. So you had to like wait for it or whatever it was. And I was a kid. I was a kid riding my bike to this place and I would start off with horror and I'm trying to like get the cashier like, hey, I want this R-rated movie. And they're like, you are like 10. Like, there's no way we're giving this to you. And it was kind of like I got to build my foundation. I was, I was like, I'm going to get like the blob, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes and keep like working my way up. And all of a sudden I was like, maniac cop. And they'd seen me in there so much that they were like, we could trust you. We could trust you with this. Okay. And and then my mom's like, what did you get? I'm like, oh, just the thing. It's like a superhero thing. It's kind of like whatever. And the same element of like, I hope I don't get caught watching this. I hope I don't get caught watching this. And it was amazing. Then being able to see like USA would get USA up all night where I would see like the dentist, Mosquito, the ice cream man, like all like the B movies. And the same thing, like it's one o'clock in the morning. I have school tomorrow. Like, and I'm just like huddled up and if I had it all on my phone, I wouldn't even think to watch Mosquito, which is one of my favorite creature features of all time. I really love that movie. But like even now when I'm on, I'll go on Tubi and I'll flick through and I'm passing by a lot of things that 10 year old me is screaming, watch that. Why won't you watch that? And I'm like, ah, no, I want to watch, uh, I want the Belko project for the 90th time in a row. And <laughs> I put that on. So I see the desensitization. Des- oh God, I can't say that word. I see it affecting me just as much as it affects the youth, you know, of the horror genre, you know, whenever you're not willing to take on the building blocks of what made movies now as captivating as they are, you got to watch Child's Play 1 and you got to understand what animatronics looked like back then before you can watch anything now like Megan. (laughs) That's all it really is. You bring up a good point because... Back in the day, the best experience is walking the video store and sneaking down the horror aisle and looking at the covers and getting excited about that. And just that's where it builds a curiosity and almost the taboo of, God, I wonder what this is. And then you anticipate this movie and you just think about it until you see it. It builds the uh, the thrill almost. And Child's Play was the first movie to terrify me, not because of the movie, but because at the same time the My Buddy doll came out that was a direct mimic of Chucky that my dad thought he would he would be a great dad and bring that home after I snuck <laughs> uh, Child's Play uh, two days prior. And that was uh, two weeks of sleepless nights. Um, but <laughs> the, uh, the experience of watching that is one of the most precious moments in my childhood is going next door that I lived next to a blockbuster and I didn't care about the kids movies. I would walk down the horror aisle and just build that and just think how cool these covers are and how cool this movie must be. That is what we're missing in today is where oh, that looks cool. Let me just YouTube it. Cool. Yeah. It just yeah. kills it. Like you said, we would have to watch it on our own. You would have to watch it at one in the morning. Now you get someone around, you've got Netflix, you can get a few people around. But before horror was very much, you might be, you know, you might have had a friend over for the weekend. You were having to watch these terrifying films on your own in the dark in silence. And I think probably that's where maybe um, it, it was better for us, I want to say. The thing about Child's Play as well, because you mentioned that, that taps into the whole thing, though. The animatronics, how bad they look aside, 
it taps into that thing of as kids you always imagine your toys to come alive i mean look at toy story it's basically toy story but a, a sadistic version of toy story isn't it so a better it version into, of toy story <laughs> yeah. so it kind of taps into that imagination and it goes right back to kind of how we started the podcast to say it's about the imagination and and, and letting that do the legwork for you but as we've mentioned Chucky, so because I've also got an eye on the time. So just like any genre of film, you need an enigmatic lead. And horror has had its fair few. So I, d- I did just have a look, see the popular ones. So Dracula was number one, all his incarnations over the years. Freddy Krueger, we've mentioned here. Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers, Leatherface. Chucky is on here. Jigsaw, Norman Bates. This was an interesting one. I've got the alien from the alien films. Pennywise, Samara from the ring. That was 11 there. I was going to say top 10, but any on that 11 that aren't there or or you would add? Easily right now, Victor Crowley from the Hatchet series needs to be somewhere on someone's top 10. Kane Hoder reinvigorating the big man, just taking down Taurus in the bayou. Those movies... All four of them, Hatchets 1 through 3 and the reboot of Victor Crowley, all starring Kane Hoder, need to be on your watch list right now because Kane Hoder is the man, the original Jason Voorhees, and he needs his flowers. So plug in those Hatchet movies, baby. It's a love letter to the gore fest of the 80s and 90s. Beautiful practical special effects. The... No lines, no lines from Kane Hoder, but the way he his physicality, his big build, the way he emotes with his entire body, the rage he has inside of him for being a, a malevolent or malevolent ghost. Oh, it's so good. Those movies are fantastic. This is I can't think of one off the top of my head, but with Matt mentioning Hatchet, that's another good one that um, I would totally agree with that, that. That's a good one. I don't know if I would go with Dracula. I think that's so cliche for the first one. Um, but I don't know that that list by itself takes a little bit of thought. I, I don't know if I agree complete with that list, but God, now you got me thinking on different characters. You should have prepped me, Dan. This isn't fair. <laughs> well, you don't have to have an answer for that. that. That was just a cheeky bonus question. <laughs> the I did then have a look to see which figures have got the most kills. At the top of the list by some was Pinhead. From the Hellraiser films, apparently. <laughs> what were you going to say, Matt? Because you had your finger up. I'm going to tell you right now, I've done this legwork for you, Dan. And I okay, can confirm okay. right now that the man, the thrills, the kills, the slash and the slasher is the one and the only Jason Voorhees with 170 confirmed cinematic kills over the, all the vehicles, including the reboot. And he is only a neck above, a slice neck above the shape, the man who controls Haddonfield. Michael Myers, who comes into 153 confirmed kills over all the cinematic vehicles, excluding Halloween ends. And even with those kills he has in that vehicle, he still pales in comparison to the man behind the hockey mask. Well, I'm going to take you. I'm going to take your words over this. The website I looked had Pinhead with 320 plus. Now, I'm assuming because wasn't Pinhead the ruler of hell. So maybe is it taking a bit of uh, what's the word? Creative accounting into that. Michael Myers, they had here next almost 200. This one had Jason Voorhees at 163, Chucky at 67, Jigsaw at 64, and Freddy Krueger at 63. But, I mean, you know, either way, they've all done their numbers, right? I think it's... <laughs> <laughs> I think it's... I think those are hopeful projections. I also love Hellraiser. <laughs> I think very iconic character. 
I only saw, I only remember seeing the first one, but again, it was just, yeah, it's just very visually striking, wasn't it? Oh yeah. Especially the second one, uh, really ramping up the, uh, the play in the nether realms of purgatory leading into hell. Hellraiser two by far leaps and bounds is better than the original. Uh, it allows multiple storylines to play out all the while you're seeing a sinister doctor who is already a deplorable person in his human form become even worse when he becomes a Cenobite. Uh, then, I, ah, they, oh, it's just beautiful noise in the background, terrifying. It's almost like the grudge with the same thing. It's beautiful. Love it. Well, with Hellraiser, you have that atmosphere. You have the topic of hell. You have these cheap but terrifying looking uh, monsters that just are unsettling. What the Hellraiser movies did really well was create that unsettlement that you just feel uncomfortable and it makes you squirm in your seat. And then it just adds that layer of fear on top of it. So I, Hellraiser, I absolutely love almost every single Hellraiser movie just because of the unsettling. My stomach turns knowing I'm going to watch a Hellraiser movie and my stomach will be in knots for about an hour and a half. So I think they do a really great job when it comes to, like Matt said, the atmosphere, the music, the just the overall editing. It's a great franchise that I think I would, they just did a reboot on it or a remake on it that was, to me, Matt, you can debate me, but I thought it was absolutely awful and it missed the classic filmmaking skills that the original had. But maybe I'm just comparing it to an already loved franchise. No, you're not wrong. It was uh, it was too dark uh, visually. Uh, you couldn't see anything, and it just didn't go with the same tropes that made the first, second, and the third, and even Hell World, to a certain degree, really good. I, I don't know. Uh, it it kind of reminds me of like uh, they, they took the contrast and put it all the way down on like Hell. Uh, was it Revelations? Or like let's just t- and take it all the way down. <laughs> We repackaged Revelations for you on Hulu. There you go. <laughs> does still for me, though, and you look at that list. So it is about the iconic imagery. So Michael Myers, the mask, uh, Jason Voorhees, the hockey mask. Freddy is the hat and that striped jumper and, and those claws. Hellraiser with Pinhead and the funky little puzzle box. And it is all about, yeah, it, sometimes it's just having that image that when you see it will strike that fear or that horror into you so okay was there anything else specifically that we hadn't covered that you wanted to to mention before we wrap up i just want to say because this is going to bug me if i don't mention this is we talk about freddy versus jason that was brought up earlier with i will defend this movie because i absolutely loved uh freddy versus jason as my favorite midnight movie of just turning off my brain and i will even defend jason x by the way of getting to that point of ridiculousness. I love these two movies because, okay, so we'll take Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, and Chucky. These are the franchises, if you take out, actually, Chucky, but uh, Friday the 13th and Chucky, they crescendoed their movies into willingly, knowingly ridiculous romps. And they made it almost like an old time kind of feel of cheesiness. They knew exactly the type of movie they were making. And the fact that they had the confidence to do that and just go all in with it. There is a level of respect that I can give those filmmakers of just giving the finger and saying, I'm just going to make a cheesy ass movie for people to enjoy and have a blast with, with a big bucket of popcorn at midnight. 
I was at a bar on Friday and I only had one pint. And that's because Jason X was playing on the screen behind the bartender. <laughs> They're like, do you need anything else? I'm like, do you have like bar snacks, like popcorn, uh, pretzels? Or I sat there getting texts like, where are you? I'm like, I'm at the store. <laughs> I was I was glued. Jason, Jason X is the perfect example of what's the, what's the most cliche thing that happens? Okay, we're going to jump the shark. What should we do? Put him in space. Leprechaun went to space. Jason went to space. Uh, was it uh, uh, Candyman almost went to space? I mean, like everything goes to space. And Jason X is like, yeah, we're cool. Get that really cute chick from Boy Meets World to be in this thing too. And let's <laughs> just run with it. And it has one of the best kills that Jason ever had was the nitrogen frozen face getting smashed off of the clinical mm. uh, counter. It was so cool. And then Jason versus Freddy, hands down, best horror movie soundtrack that isn't from like an orchestra, but like you had like stabbing westward, you had Lamb of God, you had Slipknot. I mean, it was like, we're just going to give you blood, gore, violence, heavy metal, drugs, like just give it all to you. There, run with it. And it's like, thanks. Can I have an. And Rey Mysterio, Rey Mysterio puts on the mask as Freddy Krueger and is throwing Hurricane Ranas on Jason Voorhees. Where else are you going to get that? <laughs> Do you know, I need to, you see, I haven't seen those, so I need to, I think, wrapping up, I think what this has ta- taught me now is there needs to be a series of episodes where maybe I watch horror films with the two of you. <laughs> and actually, uh, Josh from Talking Smack, if you want to be in on, on that, because I know how much he loves horror films. Uh, so if he's still <laughs> listening, yeah, maybe you and I could do a series of uh, first-time horror watchers. Yeah, there you go. So. Thank you very much, firstly, both of you for being on. Justin, as well, before you go, I need to say again, thank you again for all the artwork you do for, for my show. So if you're watching, or watching, if you're listening to this, yeah, pretty much a majority of the last 10, 15 episodes at least, Justin's done the artwork and fantastic. I love them. Every time I wake up and I see that WhatsApp message on my phone, I know I'm in for a, yeah, for a, a, a smile. So, so thank you, Justin, for doing all those. Always have a blast putting uh, your picture in awkward positions, Dan. <laughs> yeah, and as I said, I'm really worried that you've got, like I said, more pictures of me than my wife has. So, And as of recording, the episode out today was great because it was the one of time travel with Leo. And you did you did the artwork. And I actually now want you to put the Easter egg of yourself in each each cover. And then today, I, I messaged you, didn't I, yesterday? And literally, you turned it around in a couple of hours, a few hours, putting yourself hanging out the DeLorean well, if you text me to advertise myself, I mean, I'll be right on it. Just say, put yourself in that. Absolutely. You'll have it in five minutes. <laughs> yeah, I, I just feel bad because every time he sends it, I've, I've had another thought by the time he sends it. So I was like, can you just do this? Can you just do that? I've got images of you just storming around the house. Anyway, so do you want to just plug your socials before we go? Uh, so you can check me out wherever you listen to podcasts, the movie wire. You can follow me on Instagram, X, Letterboxd, whatever social media network I'm on it, at Movie Wire Show. Matt, how about yourself? If you want to hang out with the Bang Bang Brew Crew over there at the Judge Torium, the KNWT, be on all social media, Facebook, Instagram, X, Threads, YouTube, TikTok, everything that begins with social ends with media. And don't forget about our YouTube. Look for subscribers doesn't help you, but it helps us tremendously. And if you want to support us, you can also continue to support all of our incredible friends. I'm here with two of them right now. You subscribe to their shows. You're going to hear from me usually. And then you're going to just get in this love cycle of all of our podcasts from the Brain Trust and lose yourself. Make us go viral so we can quit our real jobs and just do this. So thank you. Thank you for subscriptions.
Yeah, listen to the man. Okay. For me, just search for Casting Views on any of the socials or podcast listening platforms. This is the point now I should have had a witty and clever outro for the episode, but I spent all the budget on the skit at the beginning. So I'm just going to say I'll see you next time on Casting Views. If I want your opinion, I will give it to you. Come on, take what we've got, cause we need it. Don't make us get a spark and horse feet.